0: And what's up, welcome in GC Live, Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark, Monday episode of the show, talking of course, South Carolina versus Georgia, probably actually won't have any time to start getting into Mississippi State today, but certainly throughout the week, we'll be diving into South Carolina's next matchup. Most of this show will be a review of the Gamecocks 24 to 14 loss to the Georgia Bulldogs in Athens, a tale of two halves for South Carolina, but before we get into that, Going to tell you about our buddy Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage ClintHammond.com. is where you can find him 803 771 6933. If you're in the market to buy a house, uh, Clint is your guy to help you through that process. And, uh, you know, whether it's your first time and you just need somebody to walk you through every single bit of that, or uh, you've bought multiple houses before, either way, Clint is the guy who um, just uh, has experience dealing with the market experience dealing with those decisions, and uh, can help you every step of the way. Again, ClintHammond.com. Chris, South Carolina, Georgia, obviously a first half that went the way many South Carolina fans uh, hoped, even if they didn't necessarily believe. Um, A a second half that, to me, looked like a Georgia team who kind of uh, went in, regrouped, didn't necessarily change a whole lot, in my opinion, re-watching the game. It was much more about execution than anything else. And uh, I-, I thought they settled in and, and honestly played like a top-five team in the second half, even if South Carolina did kind of expose a few of their potential question marks in the first half as well. So um, I-, I guess let's start big picture like always, and then we'll, we'll dive into some details. What is the what is your first thought from both watching this game and then re-watching it?
1: Yeah, I, I think I have a lot more smaller picture thoughts, so let me try to regroup myself, Wes. Um, you know, big picture. Honestly, and, and this is almost – I did not expect to say this. This is a missed opportunity for South Carolina, and I think that's how the players and the staff – certainly, you, man, you can tell with Shane Beamer – listening to his post-game press conference, listening to him last night on the Sunday teleconference. You can check both those out on Gamecock Central's YouTube channel if you have not already. You know, he views this as a missed opportunity. It's not the game where, you know, the Steve Spurrier-Auburn 2006 game where you clap because of the effort, right? I I think there are a couple things in play here. Number one, that is – South Carolina did keep this game a lot closer than just about anybody expected, right? I mean, college game day, clowning on the Gamecocks, right? Even Wes Mitchell and Chris Clark on a smaller level, clowning on the Gamecocks. I, I think I just picked a 17 point loss, Wes. So, you know, not, not terribly far off, but look, this is a series that after a long stretch when Steve Spurrier was in town, This thing was pretty even. The past few years, it has not been even. I I think the point totals, 27, 29, 41 last season, right? This thing has gotten out of hand quite quickly in most of those games. It did not in this instance. In fact, South Carolina, of course, as everybody knows who watched the game, up at the half, kept this scene competitive throughout despite mistakes in the second half, Wes had this thing still in range up until you know later in the fourth quarter where they still have an opportunity to win the game so it it's it's an interesting kind of dynamic in that yes the gamecocks competed and competed better you know you got to be happy with the effort you got to be happy with if you're a south carolina fan the competitiveness relative to maybe what you thought you would get after a couple weeks that was kind of the benchmark you know i I don't know any south carolina fans I have not seen the take that, hey, it's it's time to beat Georgia this year, guys. Like, you you got to get it done this year. I haven't seen that. What I did see was make this seem competitive. So you did that. But what happened, Wes, was after halftime, South Carolina's up. Now South Carolina fans are kind of smelling blood in the water. And that's why I think we've seen kind of in the autopsy, the postmortem here, trying to figure out and kind re- of not, not reach for reasons, but try to find the reasons – that, that things have gone wrong. So you can – I think it can be both, right? You can be, uh, you know, happy with the effort. You can be happy that South Carolina was competitive in this game, but also be disappointed because this was a game that ended up, as it turned out, to be winnable, and the opportunity was lost for a huge win. Yeah, it was,
0: man. And I uh, – I mean, I ain't going to put us in the same category as – what they were saying on game day, man. I mean, <laughs> no no let's that, give who, us a little more credit than that. I mean, that I was rough. I, uh, I think I, I picked South Carolina to lose by 14, which ultimately ended up being fairly close uh, yeah. to that, which not that I always am remotely close on the picks, but um, dude, they were like, and I'm not one of these people. I think fans get way too caught up in what people say in sports media and it's a show it's entertainment, but I mean, Reese Davis was even like, you know, they're, they're making that joke. how people take pictures up when, when they pick when they all five pick the same team and they're like, yeah, you know, some, uh, sometimes we need somebody to save the photo as in they're saying one person pick the other team so that they can save themselves from that photo circulating online. And, um, He's like, sometimes we need somebody to save the photo on this one. We're not too worried about it. Uh, Something (laughs) to the effect. I'm like, dang. Like, this is a South Carolina team that won as double-digit dog twice to finish off last year. So, it's not like Beamer's crowd hasn't shown they can step up and pull an upset. If anything, that's when this group has proved to be most dangerous. So, you know, I I think you kind of went into that game saying, Georgia, based on what we saw last year, probably should win the game. Probably should win the game at home pretty handily. But then South Carolina comes out, credit where it's due, punches them in the mouth. And, you know, I, I thought South Carolina had a great game plan offensively coming out. I thought they spread the ball around. There was a little bit of misdirection. It what it wasn't just throw the ball out there on the perimeter and uh, see what happens. There was some... There were some tweaks to what they put on film. The Juice-Wells touchdown, which came off of a screen. For one, they caught Georgia. Like, it was a great call for what Georgia was in. Georgia got a little impatient, uh, sent a couple of extra defenders at the quarterback. South of fakes the screen one, one way, shoots it out the other way. Then Juice did what Juice does. I mean, that entire play was just good execution all the way around. So, they came out. They executed. Spencer made some big throws. And once again, I think Rattler proved he's going to give you a chance in every game you play. Uh, Now, for him to actually have gone and won this one, he was going to have to be, looking back, borderline perfect based on what they got out of the running game or didn't get out of the running game and the way Georgia moved the football offensively in the second half. I think the sort of margin for error for him – will remain pretty high, but I think, you know, you look at this week against Mississippi State, he's going to have to play well for South Carolina to win. That's just a fact. But I don't think that he's going to have to play perfect to win some of these games you see coming up, whereas against Georgia, you needed him to almost – the the margin was that he almost had to play perfect.
1: Yeah, you, you're baiting me into it. You must want me to say it. Margin for error, it has made its return. For the 2023 season, and now I have a feeling it's back and it's back in full force. Probably going to be absolutely wearing that one out. But but you're right you you had such a, a, this small gap like it, with this opportunity, you had to play extremely well. You had to limit turnovers. I mean that that was one Wes that I think you and I were really monitoring all throughout the game. Right. And I I know we're jumping all over the place. I am, I promise going to tie this to Spencer Rattler, but Rattler had two picks. It's almost unfair to put those on his ledger. Right. Because of when they came, I think it's very important to contextualize them. Um, One of them, uh, you know, okay. Not, not a great decision. The, but it was still later in the game. You're, you're getting closer and closer to desperation territory, but he did a phenomenal job taking care of the football as did the rest of the team. And that was obviously a key. The thing that never came was South Carolina on defense was a little bit more bend, but don't break. We saw that. And I'm, I'm sure people have thoughts on that, especially as it pertains to the second half, but that did seem to be the strategy. Um you I, I got the sense that, you know, just kind of waiting to see if Georgia will make a mistake offensively. That doesn't mean don't go tweeting out that Chris Clark said that they were just sitting back letting Georgia do whatever they want, hoping they messed up. That's not what I mean. Just try to avoid the big play and then look for that Carson Beck turnover. Well, they never came, Wes. How many times did you and I text each other during the game? They really need a turnover here. Can they force a turnover? And it just never came. So that that was obviously a big difference in the game. And to pull an upset, quite frankly, Wes, it's hard to line up and beat a team straight up, upset them without turning them over, right? I mean, it's just, it's extremely difficult to do. Now, Carolina had, you know, a chance to do so, but I think they would have needed to benefit from a second half turnover or two. But Rattler did a great job. Uh, the offensive line protection in the first half really held up. The second half, obviously, Georgia teed off a little bit more. Things started to break down a little bit more. But I thought, all things considered, man, it's fair to say Rattler had his best game this season. The, the movement in the pocket, the poise and the pressure pack situations, scrambling, making some big runs, and some of his big throws. They were living dangerously with some of the downs and distances they were in. And a few times he was still able to make big plays. There, there were a few that you'd love to have back if you're South Carolina. Trey Knox had the drop, right? Luke Doty had it. It was a high ball, but there was one near the sticks he could have hauled in. And then Spencer Rattler short-armed a couple balls to Trey Knox, the one that was right there at the ground, and then one to Omega Blake later. So, again, margin for error. You need those plays to go your way. You need some turnovers to go your way, a turnover or two. And then you just – I think they just got wore down defensively, Wes, in the second half with how Georgia was running things on offense.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the lack of depth on defense or lack of proven depth, I think, was just apparent as the game progressed, in my opinion. And, dude, I watched a little bit of the coaches' show on Sunday that is recorded on Saturday right after the game. And you could tell—I mean, Beamer was dialed into the show, but it was almost like as he was talking about it, his uh, brain was flashing back to certain plays <laughs> in the game. Because he—he, yeah. uh, he, you know, he handled it like a professional, handled it maturely. But you could just—I could almost feel the energy of the, like you said, like man, let one get away there. That was there for the taking. Beamer said in the post game, "Hey, we were not shocked. We expected this to happen. We expected to be in a position to win the game in the first half, and then just uh, didn't really execute well enough to beat a team like Georgia in the second half." I, I said this point on the radio earlier. I want to say it again now because I, I truly think it is that is true. Even though it was a tell of two halves in the like results and you know the scoring from Georgia, obviously. The lack of scoring from South Carolina. I didn't, going back and looking at it, the process of how those results got there wasn't really that different. It wasn't to me that there was some crazy change in play calling for either team, honestly. And in the first half, you know, I, at halftime, I'm sitting there going back over the game in my head and I'm like, man, this offensive line really gave Spencer Rattler room to operate. Well, going back and looking at the game, you know, with hindsight re-watching it, the first half, there are several times where the pass rush is a split second from getting there. And Rattler either gets rid of the ball, you know, throwing wise or or just gets out of the pocket. There was the one where the guy reached out and grabbed him with one arm and, and sacked him. Well, the second half, it felt to me like especially once they started really pinning their ears back. Those rushes that were just barely not getting there in the first half started to really kind of pile up and and get there in the second half. You look at Georgia. They moved the football at times, really for, for most of the first half. They only had, I think, two or three possessions on offense in the first half, did Georgia. One of them was a great drive, but they end with a field goal miss. So they don't get points because they miss, you know, an easy chip shot, frankly. And, um, you know, Georgia had a a nice call on a flea flicker where the guy is open. There were two guys open on that play and Carson Beck missed him. So, you know, I, I thought first half South Carolina executed, made their plays, didn't really have drops, didn't really have self-inflicted errors. Georgia had some self-inflicted ones. They, um, you know. Going into the second half, I thought Georgia just executed far better than they did in the first half. Started hitting a few balls down the field, which opened things up a little bit. They started attacking those perimeter throws a little bit more for South Carolina. And um, then I think the thing that doesn't really quite always show up necessarily statistically that you can't really account for, but the eye test kind of shows you, it it felt like to me – just your typical runs, like not the negative runs, not the chunk runs, just kind of the ones that are forgotten in the margin of everything else. It felt like those runs were going for, you know, two, three, four, five yards in the first half. And it felt like those runs started going for six, seven, eight, nine in the second half as South Carolina got worn down. Like, I I don't know if there is an, is a way to even, like, show that statistically. Like, to me, it's not even an average, you know, average per rush, first half versus second half, doesn't quite explain what I'm trying to say. I'm talking about the ones where you actually defend it pretty well, but that guy drags your guy in the second half, but he doesn't in the first half.
1: Yep. No, it's a great point, and, and that was one of the keys to the game. So we – and it's and it's okay to do this. For, for anybody listening, watching, it's totally fine to kind of break down the schematics of everything, right, and try to figure that part out. But I think just make it more simple. You know, the schematics to me, Wes, offensively and defensively were a little bit more down the list. If you're if you're gonna go beat Georgia, really beat anybody, you've got to execute some of the basics. And and those were areas where Georgia won the second half. They just they started Georgia Ing a little bit more in the second half, which is they're gonna use their supreme talent. This is one of one of, if not, you could certainly argue this is the most talented team in college football. If you don't think so, then you must recognize they're one of the top five you know in college football they've got great size they're they're great in the trenches right that that is their calling card and so i think they those things started to open up a little bit more in the second half but that was a huge difference in this game west just georgia's running game against south carolina's run defense and you're right there were there were a couple where you know you got a guy hit and instead of 2 yards it's 4 right then you start even looking at just yards after contact so Georgia for the game Wes 117 yards after contact six runs of 10 or more yards 11 missed tackles forced per PFF and Dayon Edwards he had 57 yards after contact and six forced missed tackles there were two or three on one play one of his first down runs you know so That really started making a big difference. We can talk about – and it is fair to talk about, by the way, the receivers playing – or the DBs playing off the receivers, right? Fair to talk about that. Fair to say, hey, could South Carolina thrown another screen or two on offense? Okay. At the end of the day, South Carolina's inability to run it on offense in any form or fashion – That became more of a factor in the second half because Georgia could just tee off. They started changing the line of scrimmage. And then South Carolina's inability to consistently stop Georgia's run in the second half. Those were the biggest factors to me in the turnaround, not schematic tweaks or anything else. Not that those didn't or couldn't play in. I think it was just line of scrimmage, running the football. That was the biggest one to me.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, man. And I... It's easy. I'll, I'll say this. Nobody nobody likes the play where the cornerbacks are off the receiver and then the opponent throws a quick slant and they get a first down. Everybody says, oh, yeah. well, you know, why are they playing so far off? Well, nobody remembers the plays that go throughout the game where the DBs are off the line of scrimmage and that doesn't happen. So you can go back and look. You know, maybe South Carolina was a little bit more aggressive defensively in the first half, maybe. But at the same time, you know, there, there are a bunch of plays where South Carolina is in cover three or cover four, and they start they start the play with the DBs off the receivers and. Nobody says a word about that. They only, you only see people say that when they see it come back to bite you or, you know, a third and two, do you maybe go back and say, ah, maybe you want to man up here and uh, try to take away the short stuff. But that also opens up an entirely different, you know, sort of list of plays that they can run against you in that case as well. So You know, I I didn't really think the play calling on either side was that different in the first or second half, to be honest. Probably small tweaks is the way to say it. And um, we had a comment on here, you know, and I'm not picking on you, William, because you you had some other great points. Um, You know, he says Luke Doty showed up. Yeah, Luke made some big plays at the beginning of the game. Um, The perimeter passes were wasted plays. I mean, you – for every perimeter throw that gets hit immediately and people groan about, you have to also acknowledge, you know, the, the very first play of the game was a play action or RPO that was a fake run and then a little quick throw to Luke Doty, who was lined up almost like an H-back on that play, and it was just a little quick throw out to him. Um, they had another 10-yarder that started out as a fake screen to Doty, and then Rattler realized nobody went with Doty and he just threw it to him. That picked up ten yards. The first touchdown of the game was on a perimeter screen to Juice Wells that involved misdirection, faking a screen one way, and then throwing it back to the other. So, you know, I, I think when perimeter pass plays don't work, they look ugly, and we all groan and we all say, Why'd you throw that? But then that that's gonna have to be a part especially in this game, it was going to have to be a part of what South Carolina does offensively.
1: It was. And, and, again, you know, we've talked about this a lot, the the lack of a run game necessitates that you're going to have to be able to throw some of those shorter passes. And then you build in that some of those are RPOs, right? That, and Dow Loggins looking to try to find ways. And it, it has not not worked so far, right? But trying to find ways to manufacture some runs. And one of those is – You know, let's try to get a pre- and post-snap look at what the box looks like. What does the line of scrimmage look like? And so that gives Spencer Rattler an opportunity on some of these types of plays that we're describing, To If he doesn't like the look, he pulls the ball out and he throws the football. If he does, you know, you're trying to run the football in these RPOs, and we've seen and heard a decent amount of those being called, you know, throughout the first three games. So, yeah, you know, South Carolina's had some success passing the ball down the field. That's largely been... Spencer Rattler to Xavier Leggett. Mega Blake had a couple nice downfield plays later in the in the fourth quarter in this game. Uh, Trey Knox every now and then, right? But the the shorter throws this season are, are going to be here to stay. And, frankly, Wes, in order to have success offensively, South Carolina is going to need to be able to hit those plays. And so one thing I also noticed along those same lines, first and second half, you know, South Carolina did a good job perimeter blocking when those plays were called. And then in the second half, you know, I don't think the opportunities were there as much to throw those types of plays, um, whether it was, you know, just the situation, maybe Georgia schematically how they were defending you. But that that was another change, I think, from the first to second half.
0: Uh, Chris, uh, before we move on, you want to tell – you want to do an ad read here?
1: Yeah, let's, uh, let's tell the folks about my friend, Trey Harrell, auto accident attorney right here in South Carolina. We uh, ran into Trey in Charlotte for game one. Great guy, super helpful guy, and Trey Harrell can help you too. He helps folks injured in auto accidents all over the Palmetto State, all over Gamecock country. You can find him online at attorney.com harrell.com h-a-r-r-e-l-l attorney harrell.com and he's also on social media on instagram twitter and tiktok does a really good job with some helpful content there you can find him at trey helps at t-r-e-y-h-e-l-p-s at trey helps he's on several social media platforms instagram twitter and TikTok. If you have unfortunately been injured in an auto accident in the state of South Carolina, make sure that you find yourself an attorney who's going to fight for your rights and help to get you what you deserve. So go with our friend Trey Harrell. He can help you. That's Trey Helps on Instagram, Twitter, or on TikTok or attorneyherrell.com. We appreciate Trey Harrell at attorneyherrell.com for helping us bring you GC Live couple days a week.
0: So, Chris, I a lot of talk about the running game, rightfully so. I I, I think the running game is something we're going to see become, I, I would say, certainly a, a bigger factor moving forward. Now, whether it is a more successful factor, uh, I think it's still an unknown. Now, I, I went into this game, and I, I think South Carolina went into this game, kind of saying, look, we're, we're not going to just go beat our head against a wall and try to run the ball against Georgia if we don't think that that's what we can do. And I, I think it, it is a little bit interesting hearing the, uh, the fans talk about the running game when, you know, I, I think it's one of those things, if you, if you keep running the ball and you keep just pounding your head into a wall, people say, why are you running the ball? You know, why are you doing that when, you, when it's not working? And then if you stop trying to run the football, people inevitably will say, well, you have to be able to run the football. Why aren't you running the ball? So, you know, I, I sort of took it, again, as you said, some of the RPO stuff dictated whether they were handing the ball off or not. However, just listening to Dal Loggins' comments going into the game, hearing his comments after a North Carolina game where he said, look, we got to a point where we said, look, we just know we got to throw the football, so we're just going to throw the football and worry about the big picture later on. I I think South Carolina went in saying, we know we got to call some runs here and there, but this ain't the game to just get (laughs) hard-headed and and keep pounding the ball into, you know, the middle of Georgia's defense. I think moving forward, is when you start to think, all right, can this team find some semblance of balance on offense? It's still going to be skewed towards Spencer Rattler in the passing game. That's what they do well. However, can it can it be something where you're saying, all right, they ran the ball okay, as opposed to well, they didn't run the ball at all? Uh, you know, some of that I think as the season goes on. Now that you're not playing number one team in the country as well. I think we're going to continue to see the snaps and the rotations get tweaked. We've already seen that a little bit on the offensive line. We've already seen that a little bit at running back. People are asking about Mario Anderson, and I I agree, but also let's acknowledge the fact Mario Anderson played a lot more snaps Saturday than he had been in the past. He was clearly the number two back on Saturday, and also, Chris, to me it felt like he was the short yardage back as well maybe some of that was a coincidence maybe not but I think you're seeing Mario Anderson's snaps go up I imagine i i would I would make the bet that this week you also will see Mario Anderson's carries go up as well
1: well and There's been – there were some questions after the Georgia game, Wes, of, hey, why did – you know, Juju McDowell played on special teams but did not see a carry. And, hey, why did Mario Anderson not see any more carries? The way that the run game has been structured so far, Wes, for South Carolina has not allowed for any semblance of a rotation, certainly. And it has not really even allowed one guy to get comfortable, you know. I mean, in fairness – some of the carry on joiners carries man have reminded me you remember the one year uh, it was the year 2021 it had to have been Marshawn Lloyd was coming off his knee injury and he came in and got spot duty behind the starters and it seemed like he was getting just hit immediately every time he got the football right there has been I think for decarion on because he has been the starter. There has been some bad luck involved in there in that, I mean, he's still got, per PFF, he's got seven missed tackles forced, which leads the team, and that's not on that many carries because, again, nobody on this team has been able to get an ideal number of carries from the running back position. Now, that said, I do like what I've seen from Mario Anderson. I think he's the hardest runner on the team. Um, I think he's the the toughest, most physical runner on the team, which isn't a big surprise, right? Like that's, that was the book on him coming in from Newberry. It was just about getting comfortable and stepping up a level. How does he produce in practice? We do have to remember the coaches do see things every day in practice, right? Doesn't mean they're immune from making wrong decisions, but we just do need to keep that in context to where it's kind of like the spring game thing, Wes, where the guy gets three carries, in the fourth quarter of a spring game and looks good, that doesn't necessarily mean he's ready to go get carries in an actual SEC football game. I think the experience factor, pass protection, all that has given Joyner the nod. But has has Mario Anderson done enough? Did he do enough against Georgia to warrant you know more carries? I think that's entirely fair. Uh, one more point on the run game, too. I I've thought of the scene in interstellar West. Great movie. Matthew McConaughey. uh, I am so curious to see where you're going with this. So he's talking to the robot. You know, the, the thing, one of the pieces of the craft blows up and he's trying to dock. And he says, the robot says it's not possible. And Matthew McConaughey says, no, it's necessary. That is kind of where, South Carolina's running back running game is right now. Like it seems, man, through three games, like it seems almost insurmountable to how can you get to you know a place where your running game is solid. So it's not going to be great, but how can you get it solid or serviceable? And I think you made a great point in that one way or another, like it is playing a bigger role. As the season goes on and more you put more and more things on tape teams are going to be able to focus in more and more on the fact that you can't run the ball. So you're going to have to find a way to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be, it's going to be some uncomfortable moments. There's going to be some yelling from your bleacher seat in Williams, Bryce. Why, uh, why'd they run the ball up the middle again? But I think this, I think it's one of those things. that's only going to get better if you keep sort of chopping wood, so to speak. And, um, uh, you know, somebody asked, um, "Who's the Jerome Bettis among our players, and why not use him as our running back?" Well, if they had the bus, then um, I, I promise you, <laughs> he would be playing. But no, dude, I, I think I think some of it—it's it, clearly an issue. I think it being an issue to the extent we've seen, like I'm—I'm I'm not ready to completely give up on the idea that they can get. Better as a team because I I feel like there's a lot of just there there's a little bit of groupthink right now of this thing on DK where it's like all right I promise like I I fully agree Mario Anderson has shown enough to where I'm saying he needs to get the football he needs to carry the ball more especially with there not being much room to run I feel like he's a guy who just kind of hammers up in there and. Uh, Finds a way to fall forward. That may be the best style right now for what they're dealing with, and um, you know can get you the tough short yardage. I think. Did you see? By the way, Mike Davis, who I compared him to. Uh, I
1: thought about that. That was good. He, t- he
0: tweeted his, um, his. Uh, what would you say? He tweeted. He signed off on him. I feel yep. like yep. Mike Davis has signed off on on liking two for Mario Anderson, but dude how how much to your point how much of the issues in the running game have been more about the lack of room as opposed to um saying i ah, you know there's not a running back that can get it done like let's not let's not just give up on dk when we said from the very beginning he is still finding his way into this running back position he's going to need some room to operate this is not a guy like Mark Marcus Lattimore who's been excelling at running back, and it's just going to make something happen out of nothing. Like, I don't, I don't think you just give up. I think in sports, we are all so prone to just being like, "I give up on that guy. Um, it's Next. not working." <laughs> Next, you know, no, you have to have some patience with your players. I mean, how, how many of you on like honest? Be honest with yourself. How many of you said I give up on Xavier Leggett after the two drop passes against SC State that turned into interceptions last year? There be needs honest. to
1: be a lot of hands raised on that, Wes. Be honest, lots. So
0: I, I just I don't believe in just giving up on guys through three games. And South Carolina's played the the most difficult schedule in the country, so. Let's find out if the running game can find itself. We're we're all talking about the offensive line struggles. Well, that, I promise you, is a big part of what's going on with the running game itself. I think moving forward, and let's let's turn this into a discussion, Chris, as well about Tree Babalade. I mean, for a true freshman on the road, number one team in the country, held his own very well, and I, I think it's kind of – if I'm South Carolina, that's the guy I'm rolling with at left tackle. Like, was it perfect? Were there some freshman moments? Of course. But the talent is there. The size is there. The athleticism is there. I'm, I'm rolling with tree at left tackle. And then I think you're trying to find some semblance of sticking with the same five guys. I think that probably involves Ball, who Beamer said after the game, um, deserved to play more. And um, I think uh, I think it's I think that's the next step at that position.
1: Let me make one more point, real quick, Wes, on to carry on, joiners. So, for the season, just seventy-five yards, yards after contact per PFF sixty-nine. Right. So against the two Power Five teams, twenty-three yards against UNC, twenty-four after contact. 10 yards versus Georgia, 12 after contact. So, to your point, that means you're getting hit in the backfield. And if you don't believe that stat, it's a stat, you should probably believe it, you could just go to the tape and look at how many times they've been hit. So, whether it is Mario Anderson or Juju McDowell or On Joyner or Braswell, there's got to be better offensive line play if you want to talk about finding a way schematically, smoke and mirrors. Getting some different ways to run the football. Yes, that's also a fair point. And Wes, I think you got to factor in there have been some runs this year that the running backs could have done a better job on. So it is again we we like to simplify things in some cases, but here it's a little bit more complex. Yeah, Tree Babalade, man. One of the stories coming out of the game, freshman. We were all wondering coming in. We knew he was going to play more would he start? And he did. He answered the bell, uh, did an outstanding job in pass protection. You you can tell out there um, in space, run blocking, there's still some things to work on. This is a guy that's barely played college football, and he's playing against elite competition right in there. Um, I was talking to Marcellus Dial Wes, on the Garnet Trust Hour on 107.5 earlier, and he's buddies with Tree said that Tree was kind of actually, like, nervous going into the game. And he said that's going to do wonders, you know, for his confidence, you know, with how he performed against some absolutely elite pass rushers. So, man, that was huge just to to potentially have a spot stabilized. I won't even say potentially. I mean, he's, he's the guy going forward unless something happens. That's huge because you've had kind of two tackle spots in flux since week one, since – you know first quarter of the north carolina game you could kind of tell hey probably going to have to be some tweaks here at the tackle yeah. position
0: yeah and uh, we get, we got to remember yeah players aren't static like players get better players uh make progress sometimes they don't make progress enough and they get passed and you know they don't play or they transfer and sometimes they stick around and they keep getting better keep getting better and then um you know they uh, they play well so i i don't I really try not to give up on anybody. I I know, you know, Fugar is the guy everybody likes to talk about right now. And I'm not sitting here telling you that he's played great. But I also don't think you give up on a guy who transferred in who, frankly, I never had circled when he transferred in as being a guy who should have to play right off the bat this season. Uh, you know, I think if everything would have played out the way Carolina hoped it did on paper, he's a a guy who is learning the ropes this year, providing some depth and, and then making an impact next year. So, um, you know, it, it's a position that obviously you need, um, you you need guys that have experience and size and have done it, but in order to get that experience, they have to go play. And, um, you know, I, I do think if you're a Gamecock fan, you, you can feel some renewed excitement about the idea, I think, of Tree and then Tro Ball, who, um, you know, I, I think at this point you just roll with those guys, um, you know, and, and give them their chance to go see what happens. And I think that probably means Jakai Moore or Sidney Fugar out there at, at right tackle for South Carolina. But hey, I think the future at that position is very bright. It's just a matter of the future right now doesn't matter. You've got one of the best quarterbacks you've had in school history. So you've got to take advantage of that now by giving him a chance to go play um, without getting hit. So, Chris, a couple of positives from this game as well as far as individual performances. T.J. Sanders, SEC co-defensive lineman of the week, well-deserved, obviously. I thought it was a coming-out party for him, man. He's making plays in the running game. He's making plays in the passing game. He's batting balls down. Just disruptive all first half, I thought. And um, then on, on the other side of the ball, Omega Blake. I, I thought this was by far Omega's best game as a Gamecock. Um, showed some veteran awareness, I thought. Finding the hole in, in the zone coming back to the football as opposed to just waiting for it to come to him, um, getting the ball, securing it, then getting upfield. I mean, this this was a guy who clearly has been developing as a player. And so I I thought that was good to see with no A.B., no Juice Wells for most of the game. Uh, Omega stepped in and made some catches when they needed him to.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the fact that Juice and A.B. were out for this game, I mean, when two of your three starting wide receivers are out West, I know Juice Juice played, what, 10 snaps, had a touchdown. He obviously made an impact, but that that's going to affect things, right? Especially when you're playing Georgia, that's going to show up. So, Luke Doty coming in, doing some good things. And Omega Blake, too, man. Um, You know, we, we started to hear more about him um, in preseason camp. It seems like that was when the light started coming on a little bit. It's hard to believe. Wes how long he's been here at South Carolina actually it it doesn't seem like it's been that long but he's he's starting to break through where he's you know he's been firmly in that top six he played a lot of snaps against North Carolina fair to say Wes didn't have a memorable performance I, I think he only got targeted maybe once didn't have his best game blocking this game Light looked like it 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 was on, right? I, I think I uh, totally agree with you. Glad you pointed out that play where he came back to the football. I thought the same thing I was like, wow, that was, you know, kind of one of those hidden plays that you may not notice that was really solid. So uh, caught the ball well, got himself open. And look, they need, even if they get AB back, even if the Juice Wells news at some point this season ends up being positive, they need more guys to continue to develop. And uh, he's one of them, no doubt.
0: For sure. Uh, before we move any farther, man, um, let's tell the folks out there about our friends at bird dogs. Um, I, I, I'm going to be honest, bird dogs. If you're listening, I, I hear you check these. I need another shirt, man. Cause I have been wearing mine <laughs> out. Um, wifey is like, all right, I, I got to put down my foot. You can't wear that shirt again oh. this week. Let it, let it, let it breathe a little bit, basically. So, Uh, Bird dogs, if you want the most comfortable collared shirt I've ever worn, check them out. If you want to wear some shorts that feel like gym shorts on the inside, but then look like you're a professional on the outside, they can handle that as well. And if you want a free, um, what are we doing this, this time, Chris? We've got, so we've done several things. Right now, I'm trying to think of how we're supposed to say this. Chris isn't gonna bail me out here.
1: You get a free cup. I was trying, I was trying to make sure. I, um, I don't even want to say it wrong. I don't I don't You get don't a want free cup
0: uh, if you use birddogs.com slash gamecocks. They're gonna be like, guys, you need to redo that read. That was awful. But hey, this is this is what we do when we do it live. We're just gonna be honest with you. Yep. Great filling shirt, great filling shorts. Go to birddogs.com slash gamecocks and you'll get something free. So there you go. Chris, moving on. Um, before we get back to the game itself, this does have a kind of a South Carolina tie in that Alabama's entire staff is from South Carolina.
1: <laughs>
0: how about except, our except, L- uh,
1: except somehow Nick Saban never coached here. Somehow.
0: Somehow. <laughs> how, how about our guy, Lane Kiffin, the ultimate troll? Like, the troll of all the trolls with this comment saying, paraphrasing here, on film, it looks like T-Rob is calling the defense for Alabama. So, th- this raises so many questions, man. First of all, is T-Rob really calling the defense? That, that's one question. I'm sure Nick Saban was asked about that today. In his weekly press conference. That raises the, the next question. Did, did they actually observe that? Did he make that up? Is that the vibe he got? Then, the final question is, if he did observe that, did he sit there and think, rather than sit on this information, he being Kiffin, rather than sit on this information and go into the game knowing their tendencies without them knowing we know their tendencies i'm going to cause even more havoc by just throwing it out there instead of just sitting on that information so the the i mean clearly kiffin is playing chess here and the rest of us are playing checkers
1: and then then he uh then he retweeted a, a story like quoting him quoting himself or however you would say that. He's so good at trolling that I don't even know how to classify it, Wes. Saban was asked about that, so I'll do my the I-team reporting. Um, Charlie Potter from Bama Online, which is our Bama site on the On3 network. Kevin Steele is the defensive coordinator. He has all the defensive coordinator responsibilities. The only thing we tried to improve on from an admin standpoint was game day admin of getting signals in. Quicker. So he, he's on this other thing I've seen floating around there, floating around from Lane Kiffin. It, it's phenomenal. Even even if it wasn't true, it's, it's just hilarious. And it probably is eating at Nick Saban, which is funny.
0: Yeah, Kiffin, phenomenal at the social media college football world. Um,
1: and Wes, can I mention, I, you're probably like, please don't railroad our show with that. Y'all go watch how do you say dude's name biff poggy Poggi, p-o-g-g-i i don't i don't know how to say it either the new head coach at charlotte so they lost to sean elliott's georgia state team on saturday and biff poggy was not pleased he he said some things um he, he actually did, and that's why I want to get everybody listening's take on it. Go back and then report back to us on Wednesday. Go watch it. He said all the things that fans say that they want their coach to say in a press conference, and so I want you to go watch it and then see if you still want your coach to say those things because, man, calling out his coaches, basically saying they may get fired after three games. It was, it was something. It was a choice
0: yeah my man was throwing everybody under the bus uh it was entertaining did he here's here's my question Chris did he ever at any point throw himself under the bus
1: he did he did to be okay. fair he was like it falls on me it's my responsibility I hired the guys I brought in the players <laughs> but yeah he whew, it it was it was very like I've watched the entire thing more than once i hate to say because it is it's that entertaining so go check it out
0: I need to go I need to go see that. Um well so I just shared a link. Unfortunately it looks like uh it looks like it's spam, so none of you are gonna click it. <laughs> I promise it's not spam. I was trying, Chris, to share the um the link for the new app. Oh. The new Let's app try- is cool, man. Let's try this again. There you go. Hey, click that. That looks better. Promise. Um that's for Apple and for Android. If you want breaking news alerts, the new all in 3 app. Um, actually, if you pick your team, it will default to the website for whatever team you like. So it's an On3 app, but if you pick South Carolina, that's going to default to Gamecock Central. And um, the app itself is free. Obviously, if you are going to need, um, you're going to need a subscription to read the subscription content. But the app is free, so check that out. Um, it's very cool and and like I said, great for breaking news alerts, uh, which is something we're trying to to push even more on there. Um, all right, we got a few minutes left, Chris. I'm trying to think of what else we need to hit on from the game. I know so to me, big picture moving forward, you really have nine games. That based on what we've seen through three games, South Carolina could win any number of these games. They could lose any number of these games. I haven't seen anything from South Carolina or anybody on this schedule that tells me a game is not winnable for the Gamecocks. But then I haven't seen really anything from. South Carolina or from anybody else that tells me that that team couldn't beat South Carolina either. You know, there are some teams that are a little bit better than we thought. There are certainly some teams that are worse than we thought. The, the, the season will be decided by how well this group can continue to make progress and fix the things that we're all talking about right now. Because I promise you, none of us are saying anything that hasn't been discussed in that building, in that room, about what they need to fix. We're seeing that as this thing gets tweaked. But I think moving forward, man, they're going to have to settle on the five on the offensive line. Keep bringing on the young players uh, across the board, I think. Your your young linebackers. I mean, we talked about this a good bit on the radio show. Haven't talked about it as much on this show, Chris. I mean Debo Williams has emerged and I think has been really really good for them at linebacker. But playing 80 snaps, Stone playing all but 12 snaps, you know, even a safety spot where we thought they had depth with DQ playing nickel those guys looked kind of worn down as well and and you had David Spalding in there a little bit, but he's still coming off of an injury. Your cornerbacks, for the most part, played every snap until OD got banged up and Judge Collier came in. I I think continuing to find guys that the staff trusts by bringing along the young players has got to be a key to this season
1: moving forward. Well, and one key is just exactly what you said. I mean, man, you need to get healthy. I mean, really, um, this isn't a team that can afford injuries. You know, you don't want to play – Wes, we don't know the prognosis on Juice Wells for sure yet. We won't know until tomorrow at the earliest, and I would imagine we're still not going to get a firm word. But suffice it to say, I mean, you're not going to have them against Mississippi State, right? I mean, that's pretty fair to say, and, and possibly slash probably beyond. But you need to get A.B. back. You need to have Pup Howard and Bam Martin Scott, both of whom missed some practice time in the preseason, you need those guys to continue coming along. Shane Beamer talked about that. You got to avoid injuries at crucial spots, and you need to get some of these other – getting JT gear back. That'll be big. You know, you'll have Tyreek Johnson. You'll be able to get him back this week, they think. So, staying healthy is going to be a key. I think you make a great point. You know, it, the North Carolina game is probably the game that if you are feeling down on this team right now, that's why, Right. I don't think you, like, if they had just played Furman in Georgia, <laughs> heck, you might still feel really good about this team. But you've seen that North Carolina game, and you've seen the issues. The warts on this team, I think, Wes, are fully exposed, right? And and the biggest one offensively is not being able to run the football, some of the issues with the offensive line. The defense has been up and down, right? And, and I think we could have a debate and argument about, about that. Um Overall, is the team a better team than it was week one? Probably, but some people may argue that too. That They do have the toughest schedule in the country by some metrics. If you don't think it is, you certainly could recognize it as one of the toughest in the country. And so what that means is you're in toss-up territory at best in a bunch of these games, Wes. So um, the good news is Georgia's probably the best team you're going to play. And I totally agree. Some teams, like I'm hot. I was down on Florida, a little bit higher on, on them after watching them beat Tennessee, right? Some some of the other, Kentucky, maybe a little bit lower on Kentucky than I was at the beginning of the year, but all very challenging. But I don't look at any of these games and say, man, there's no way they can win that one. I also don't look at any of them and say, yeah, they should probably be favored in that one. Maybe Jacksonville State's probably the only one you can say that about. Maybe you throw Vandy in there. Other than that, you've got tons of toss-ups um, or games that you won't be favored on. Frank, favored in, frankly, on this schedule.
0: Yeah, you know it starts this week, though, man. They they are favored over Mississippi State, not by nope. a ton, but that thing is inched up closer to a touchdown. I think six points last I saw. That game's yep. at home. Um, I mean, I, I don't have to say it. South Carolina needs a W beside that name. <laughs> on their schedule. You know what, man? I think if that happens, if they take care of business this week, the, yeah, the North Carolina game sort of stings a little bit. Still. I, I saw a take on here that said, you know, if, if that game wasn't week one, um, South Carolina wins the game. I'm not saying I'm ready to agree with that, but I, I think it actually probably would have been a much different game. If Furman and UNC were reversed and you get a chance just to get into the flow of a season and, and see what you have. North Carolina, again, exposed the issues right off the bat for you. I think we saw a good bit of improvement as the season has progressed. We will see if that's kind of stuck. Like, we'll see. Was was Georgia a case of a team just getting up in the first half and, and really being high for a number one team? Or is this who South Carolina is? And I, I think you look at Mississippi State, they appear to be very beatable. They obviously um, had a coaching change for the worst of reasons. Um, you know. And I, I think you look at them defensively, at least the way they grayed out so far on PFF, and not that I put a ton of stock always in PFF, Mississippi State's not been a great pass rush team, Chris. So that maybe plays directly into South Carolina's favor with what we know their strengths are. So anyway, we've got all week to get to that. So before we sort of move on, man, you want to tell everybody how they can cure any and all of their taxiety?
1: Yeah, I hope you don't have it yet. But if you feel it coming on, make sure you go ahead and call our friend Larry at Liberty Tax, 803-462-5576. Larry and his team at Liberty Tax with two locations out in Irmo, both on St. Andrews Road, spread apart a little bit for convenience for you. Super knowledgeable, super helpful, tons of experience. A lot of great stories, a lot of great tax stories, and the guy just simply knows what he's doing with his team at Liberty Tax. He's helped my wife and I. We've had multiple conversations with him, has us on the right track, has us ahead of schedule. Wes, I was telling you on the phone the other day something that Larry told me about some tax changes that have been made. Neither of us knew, but since we have Larry on our side, we knew about him. Now we're ready. Now we're prepared for next tax season. We've got a good plan, and most importantly – Absolutely no tax So go check out Larry and his team at Liberty Tax.
0: I got three more thoughts before we get out of here, Chris. I'm trying to make them really quick. Um, First of all, Travis pointing out seven rushes by two running backs. Um, He says that's unacceptable. Again, I think South Carolina went into this game with no designs of even pretending there was much of a chance to run the football against Georgia. I think you will see them make more of a concerted effort to try to do that moving forward. Now, whether you agree with that philosophically, that that was the approach to take, you know that that's up to you. But uh, I, I think that was a decided effort to do so. Um, Craig pointing out we are 12th to 14th on every defensive stat. That's one of those things. Yeah, it's it's a fact. I'm sure if you look at all those stats, I saw people tweeting about it coming onto my timeline earlier today. The other the other end of that is that South Carolina has by far played the toughest schedule among the teams that are also in those stats, and those are SEC teams. Um, So I don't really know that I put much stock into the stats at this point. And then finally, um, God Loves Comics pointing out, um, sad we didn't get to see Mike Leach come to Willie B. Uh, Super sad, man. I found myself starting to think about this game, kind of going over in my head, one, all the awesome Mike Leach moments and uh, sound bites would have been phenomenal to see him on the sideline against South Carolina. Like I I really just miss Mike Leach being a part of college football and just the aura and all the – All the little things that make college football awesome. Mike Leach was a part of that. And then also, South Carolina-Mississippi State, like this matchup in general, haven't played since 2016, which is crazy. And, Chris, there have actually actually been a ton of memorable moments in the South Carolina-Mississippi State matchup. So, we'll see if this Saturday brings us another one. And um, I think that might be something for us to explore as the week goes on. What are your most memorable South Carolina and Mississippi State moments? Because even though it's not loaded up with those year after year after year like South Carolina, Georgia, like we talked about last week, there really are, considering the fact they haven't played a ton, some big moments um, that that have come between South Carolina and Mississippi State.
1: Yeah, some fun ones for sure, man. Uh, lots of memorable moments. Ooh, even some not memorable moments. Yes, in some regards, but uh, not. Teams have only played is this right Wes, sixteen times, so nine wins for the Gamecocks and seven for Mississippi State. I was actually in Starkville for the twenty sixteen game uh, when Dan Mullen was still the coach. So, yeah, this will be this will be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to starting to unpack it throughout this week.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I I really am. I really want to start naming off memories from this, but we're we're out of time. We're gonna do that later. There are a bunch of them. So, all right, we'll do that later on. We'll see y'all soon. Michael have his show tomorrow. Chris and I will be back Wednesday. I uh, appreciate y'all. Y'all have a good one.